Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's just go ahead and lift our hearts, our voices, our hands to God. Father, we thank you today in the name of Jesus that we are your very own children. You are our very own Father. And Lord, you are such a good God to us. Lord, when we were lost without hope in the world, Jesus, you came. And you claimed us for yourself. You, you brought us in. You adopted us into the family of God. And Father, it's such a joy today to be able to respond to you in faith and say yes to everything that you're doing, everything that you're giving, everything that you're offering. Lord, we say yes to the influence of your spirit. Yes to the great teacher. Yes to the great merciful graciousness that you offer to us today. Lord, it's so good to stand before you cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be the children of God. Thank you, Father, that you saturate us, you fill us and refresh us anew. And we thank you for all that you're going to show us by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit today. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. It is a joy to be back at Heart of the Bay. This is absolutely one of our favorite places to come. And uh, I assure you that Pastor Mark and I are not members of the Mutual Admiration Society. But having said that, we sure love Pastor Mark and Brenda. We think you guys have some of the finest pastors anywhere right here in Haywood. And uh, man, their faithfulness. How long have you guys been, been pastoring in ministry overall? How many? Oh, here, 31 years and 21 years here. No, 31 years. 31 years here. Oh, my goodness. And how many overall? About 35. 35. So, man, these guys are veterans. They are, they are troopers. And so, but they're dear friends and we admire them so much. How many of you have ever been through something that was just absolutely humiliating? Just, I mean, you just got beaten in some sporting event or some failure, just something that you just you know, wanted to disappear. You just, um, I, I want to tell you this morning about a football coach. He, um, it was his first year to coach this team. Now the team had been around a long time, but it was his first year. And this was a high school team. And uh, he found out that one of their first opponents that they were going to be playing the first year of his time as coach, uh, that one of the teams that his team had played last year, they'd been beaten 63 to zero by that team the year before. And then he knew that to, to prepare his team, they were going to need to have some, you know, inspiration and, and that type of thing. I've never been beat that bad, but my first football game ever in seventh grade, that was the first time we were ever played tackle way back when. And uh, we went to play a team, uh, oh, 30 miles from us. And, you know, we'd never played anybody before. And this was our first year to play organized tackle football. So we didn't know. But we were full of energy and we were full of excitement. And on the bus ride up there, we were doing all these chants. I mean, you know, I won't do them. But, but we were doing all these chants and cheers on the bus. Man, we just knew we were going to be, you know, powerful and all that. Well, we got beat 53 to 0 that <laughs> night. And uh, I was one of the captains, and I knew we were in trouble when the other captain and I on our team went out to midfield. And um, we, th- they had a kid on their team. I'm serious. He had to be a junior or senior in high school. I mean, he'd been held back. He, you could see the kid was shaving. And um, 
man, I, I, I had just gotten out of pajamas with feet in them, you know. And um, I'm sitting there looking up at this kid, and, and uh, I, he got the opening kickoff, ran it back for, I mean, nobody touched him. Nobody wanted to touch him. And uh, they just destroyed us 53 to 0. And I remember the next year we went to play them again, or they probably played us at home that year. But, I mean, they just, it, we were so demoralized, you know, before we ever played them the second year because we knew they had this kid and that nobody could stop him and all that. But um, so anyway, getting back to this high school coach, they'd been beaten 63 to zero the year before. And and this is his first year coaching this team. And he knows that his team is going to need some extra motivation and, and encouragement to beat the team. And so the coach comes up with a strategy. And um, he takes a big bed sheet and hangs it up in the locker room. And he, he gets a, a bucket of paint and he literally paints on the bed sheet 63 to 0. And he hangs it up in the locker room. And uh, his, his psychology behind this, this is what he was going to do. He's going to hang that up the whole week before the, their game with this team. And it was going to remind his team of how badly they'd gotten beaten. And he wanted to get them angry. You know, he wanted to get them, you know, upset and, uh, you know, motivate them that we're not going to let this team do this to us again. So all week long, every time they went in and out of the locker room, they saw this big banner 63 to 0. But that was only part of the plan. The rest of the plan was is that right before the game, the coach was going to stand right underneath that banner. And he was going to give them a pep talk. You know, what are you, you guys that have been in locker rooms, you know what it is when the coach, you know, endeavors to fire you up and, and make you believe you can do anything. So, so he whips the team into a frenzy. And then to, to carry out his plan, he reaches up, he grabs the banner and he rips it off the, off the wall or wherever it was hanging. And, um, and his, his thing was what he was going to do is he's going to start ripping it into shreds. And so he's whipped the team into a frenzy, you know, they're, you know, jumping up and down, shouting, and then he rips it down. And, and what he didn't realize, because he was so excited and so caught up in the moment, he'd actually doubled the sheet over. So when he tries to rip it, he can't tear the sheet. And he's sitting there, you know, and everybody's watching him and they start, they stop cheering and they're just watching their coach there. And, you know, the room gets quiet and he's totally embarrassed. You know, he cannot, no matter what he does, he can't tear the sheet. And so all the benefit of the whole strategy, the whole philosophy, you know, seems to go out the window. And, um, you know, just this, I, you know, demoralization just kind of settles in. And, you know, kind of they all just kind of get this flashback. You know, we're just nothing but a bunch of losers. And, you know, our coach can't even tear the stupid sheet. And um, I want to go now at this moment to the coach's own words. I want you to listen to this. Then suddenly... One of the smaller players on our team, Mark Cristaldi, got up from the back of the room and came charging at me. He grabbed the bed sheet and began ripping it with his teeth. He tore it into pieces, tossing them around the room. The team jumped in 
and uh, began throwing the pieces in the air and shredding them into little tall, small strips. The next thing I knew, they were howling in a war cry together, and each of them had a piece of the sheet uh, tied to their helmet, uh, shoved into their belt, or holding it in their hand, waving it in the air when we took the field. And, and he, you know, he just talked about how, you know, motivated his team. They just had this resurgence, you know, of enthusiasm and fire. And he says, later in the game, I called for one of our players and said, come here, son. I want you to go in. He said, coach, I can't go in. I don't have a piece of the thing. And the coach, by the time he'd, he'd been thinking about so many things, he said, piece of the, what are you talking about? And he said, you know, a piece of the thing we tore up in the locker room. And, and so the coach looked around and he says, I walked over to a kid who had two pieces tied to his face mask. And I ripped one of them off and handed it to the kid and said, now get in the game. And he said, we won the game. And it wasn't because I had motivated them in the locker room. It was because Mark Cristaldi stepped out and put himself on the line. When he did that, the team members, now listen to this, the team members rallied around each other. Something I had not been able to accomplish on my own. Now, I love that story. It's a fun story. But, um, you know, there's something very powerful here because every coach knows that when he motivates his team, that external motivation will only go so far. There comes a moment when the motivation has to become internal motivation. Each of the players has to take the will to win and the desire to win, and it has to become their own. The coach can maybe start it, but it has to become their quest and their mission. Every player has to take ownership. And for that team... A piece of the thing, that piece of the sheet, uh, wasn't simply the sheet itself, but it was what it represented. And that sheet represented their passion, their goal, their motivation, and their desire to win. Now, if you're looking for a message or a title for today's message, it's called, You've Got a Piece of the Thing. Now, get in the game. Now, having said that, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. And we're going to look at something. Because all of us have had, you know, whether you raised your hand earlier or not, to acknowledge that you've had some great humiliation in your life, some terrible defeat, we all have. Every one of us has experienced failure in our life. And... I want you to think for just a minute what that sheet could represent. When that sheet was hanging up, it represented the team's total defeat. But when it was torn down, it represented the team's victory. Do you know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he represented our defeat? Because he was represent, he had been 
he was bearing the sin of the world. When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't there for his own sake. He had no sin to die for. He had nothing to bear any judgment or penalty for. But when Jesus was on the cross, he represented all of our failures. He represented all of our sins. But you know what? When he came down from that cross, that became our victory. Now, I want you to look in Romans chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at uh, what it means for us to have a piece of the thing. Because here's something I want you to understand. When it comes to Christianity, you are not a passive spectator. You are not a casual observer sitting in the stands. You have a piece of the thing. And let me explain to you why you have a piece of the thing. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version today. Romans 6, 6, Paul makes a statement. He says, knowing this, knowing this. I want you to know that, that pretty much everything that you experience in Christianity begins with knowing something. Because knowing, having an awareness, having a knowledge, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Jesus said, you shall know, everybody say no. Know. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We have to know something. And here's what Paul said, we know. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now, some people have used it. I've never, I've never thought this was a good term. I always thought it was derogatory and disrespectful. Some people refer to their natural father as their old man. And, um, you know, somebody jokingly said, I thought it was a pretty poor joke, but they said, you know, those two guys that hung on the, on the cross on either side of Jesus, one of those was Paul's father. And, you know, then the joke supposedly goes on because Paul said, my old man was crucified with Christ. You know, stupid joke. That's not what that means. When Paul says our old man was crucified with Christ, what he's referring to is our old nature. That unregenerate, corrupt nature that we had that was tainted and poisoned and contaminated by sin. Jesus took that upon himself on the cross. He took our old nature. Our old man was crucified with Christ. Listen to this. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died, what are those next two words? With Christ. Did you notice the first part of Romans 6, 6? Knowing that our old man was crucified with him. And now we read, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Do you see there's a connection between us and Christ? When Jesus died on the cross, he did not die alone. You say, yeah, I know he had those two guys. No, I'm not talking about the two guys on either side of him. What I'm saying is you were there. That was you on that cross. You say, I thought it was Jesus. Well, yeah, it was, but your old man was crucified 
with him. There was, a, there was a union that took place between Jesus and humanity. And when Jesus was on that cross, he wasn't there alone. He had absorbed into himself all of the human race. And our old man was crucified with him. The New Living Translation of this says, uh, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. That sin might lose its power in our lives. Now, Pastor Tom, come up here. I want to use you for an illustration. You're a good sport, right? Y'all love Pastor Tom? Remember it's my birthday. Is this your birthday? Yeah, it is. Wow, this is really... I'm going to really embarrass you on your oh, birthday. No. Um, sorry about that, but, you know, it'll be a birthday you'll, you anyway. you'll never forget. You have to love me. Uh, I do, I do. When you get to be the preacher, I'm the preacher today. When you get to be the preacher, you get to be the good guy in any illustration. Which means that whoever you select from the congregation, you may not get quite as good of an assignment here, Tom. As a matter of fact, I am going to represent Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I get to be Jesus. Now, when you preach, you can be Jesus. But today, I'm Jesus. And um, Tom is going to represent evil, fallen, sinful humanity. Can you give us your most evil, sinful, fallen look? Yeah, there you go. That's even sinful fallen humanity. That's him. Now, okay, but before, go ahead and get normal again. Be normal. Before, before humanity became evil, sinful, and fallen, uh, God had created humanity and they had a union. All right? But you remember what Adam and Eve did? They basically decided, God, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And we want to do things our way. So just give me a gentle push. Just a gentle push. Not hard. Gentle. All right. So humanity pushed God away. And, uh, yeah, became. He's good. He's good. I might need to take him on the road with me. He became. All of humanity became evil and sinful. God had been rejected by humanity. And you know what? God is a gentleman. So if humanity says, we don't want anything to do with you, God's going to back off. God's not going to force any blessing on you that you just refuse to have. But you know what? There came a point in time where God decided, I'm going to go reach that evil fallen people. They don't deserve it. But Jesus came and he became once again... He became one with humanity. Now, go ahead and relax the evil part. You're you're doing good, but relax it. All right. Now, I want you to pretend for just a minute. Forget for a minute that I'm Jesus and this is humanity. I'm just going to be Tony and this is going to be Tom. All right. Now, let's say that some kind of thing happened where Tom and I just, you know, I'm Tony, he's Tom. That we somehow, stick your arm out, that we just got joined together. We became like Siamese twins. And, you know, just imagine there's a bond, a a rope or something around us that can never be broken. And that we are now just one. We, you know, and, and here's what happens. If I win the big lottery and I win $50 million and now I can go to the grandest hotels, the most glorious vacations, eat at the most exquisite, exquisite, exquisite restaurants 
then guess what's going to happen to Tom? Everywhere I go and everything I get to experience and enjoy, Tom gets to enjoy and experience. On the other hand, if Tom is not paying attention, he steps out in the street and gets run over by a bus. Guess, guess what happens to me? If he gets run over by the bus, I get run over by the bus. So whatever happens to him happens to me. Whatever happens to him happens to me. This is what we call, there's a theological term for this. It's called identification. Mm. That we become so one with one another that we are identified together. In other words, if you see me, you see Tom. If you see Tom, you see me. We are identified together. Now, let's go back again. Once again, I'm Jesus. Go ahead, get evil again. Fallen. All right. He becomes evil, evil, fallen humanity. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus became one with humanity. That's why he became a human being. Now, make it real clear. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was never sinful. But Jesus, when he went to the cross, he wasn't going for himself. He was going because he had embraced unto himself and was bearing all of the sin of evil humanity. In other words, that bus of judgment was coming to destroy humanity. You remember we talked about if he gets run over by a bus, I get run over by a bus. But here's what happened. This is the the miracle of the cross. That Jesus saw the bus coming and what he did, because he had now become united with humanity, he stepped in front of the bus and Jesus took the full blow, the full impact of the bus. Now, here's the thing. Most of humanity wasn't even really born yet. But when Jesus went to the cross, he was there taking the judgment, the punishment, the penalty that all of humanity deserved. And Jesus took the brunt, the impact of that that judgment. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing our humanity's sense of separation from God. But you know what? You know what happened three days later? Jesus was quickened. And when Jesus was quickened, you became alive. And when Jesus was raised, mankind was raised. And when Jesus ascended and was seated in heaven, guess what? We are now... We have been, this is what Ephesians 2 says, we who were dead in our trespasses and sins have been quickened together with Christ. We have been raised together with Christ and we've been made to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. Whatever humanity deserved, Jesus took all of the junk that humanity deserved so that humanity could get all of the glory that Jesus deserved. Happy birthday. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. This is why Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, every single one of us were part of the team that had been defeated. And that 63 to 0 that was hung up above us was really not 63 to 0. It just, it just meant lost, hopeless, headed toward hell. And Jesus took that whole punishment. And, but when Jesus was taken down from the cross... And, and again, I'm getting a little bit obtuse maybe on the illustration. But you remember Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Drink it, all of you. You have a piece of the thing. Jesus identified himself with you. That's why he was on the cross. He was, you can almost say he was impersonating you. He took your, you know what identification is short for identity. And when you go certain place, they want to see your ID. And it's like Jesus said, I have so identified with humanity that their identity is now my identity. I've taken sinful humanity's identity unto myself so that they later can have my identity that's how, that's how joined together with Christ we've become. He became us on the cross so that we could be Him in the resurrection. The first thing you have to know is that your old man was crucified with Christ. Say that out loud with me. My old man, my old sinful nature was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. See, you have a brand new nature that's infused with, with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why you and I are not supposed to live out of that old nature anymore. Our old man was crucified with Christ. The first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to know that your old man was crucified with Christ. You've lost that old identity. You have a new identity. All right? Second, and, and if we just go a couple verses later in Romans chapter 6, the first thing we have to do is we have to know something. The second thing we have to do is we have to reckon it to be so. Look at Romans chapter 6 verse 11. Likewise also... Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. That word reckon, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. That word reckon, it's translated this way, see yourself this way. Think of yourself this way. Consider yourself this way. Do you see yourself dead to sin or do you see yourself enmeshed in sin? Now, we all understand there's people that have different issues and habits and, you know, problems. But do you see yourself in the light of your behavior, your performance, or do you see yourself in the light of Christ? Now, let me ask you this question. How, how separated do you see Jesus from sin? How separated do you see Jesus from sin? 
How death? Death just means separation. Can we back up on the scriptures on the screen? Can we back up to verse 10, please? Back up to verse 10. For the death that he died, that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. Notice that doesn't say he died for sin. He did, but that's not what this verse says. This says he died to sin. In other words, when he was on the cross, he bore our sin. He, he gave his life for it. But when Jesus was resurrected, he left sin in the grave. He died to sin. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus, one time, he bore the punishment and penalty for our sin. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Jesus will never be touched by sin again. Amen. He died to it. He conquered it. He destroyed it. He died to it. The death that he died, he died to sin once. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. How separated do you see Jesus from sin? Completely. A hundred percent. Sin has nothing to do with Jesus, does it? And how alive to God, how united to God do you see Jesus? Is he just kind of sort of connected to God or is he completely and totally united with the Father? So Jesus is 100% dead to sin and 100% alive to God, right? Now look at verse 11. Romans 6, 11, the verse we were just looking at. Likewise. You know what the word likewise means? It means equally, similarly, or in like manner. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's mind-blowing. Do you know what that Bible verse is saying? It's saying you are supposed to see yourself as dead to sin as you see Jesus dead to sin. And you are supposed to see yourself as alive to God as you see Jesus being alive to God. Now, can I tell you something? That freaks some people out. And and there's a different theology that doesn't line up with this that says, you're just an old sinner. You're just a worm of the dust. You're just... You know, that wants to keep you in that old men, old man mentality. And and see, do you know why some people like to be told you're just an old sinner? Because that way, when you're tempted to sin, you kind of have an easy excuse. Because if you're tempted to sin, and after all, you're just an old sinner, you can't help yourself. So you kind of now have a license to sin. Because you're just an old sinner anyway. If you're an old sinner, when you're tempted, why don't you just go ahead and yield to it? Because that's really who you are in the essence of your being. You're just an old sinner. You're an old worm of the dust. So go ahead and sin. See, number one, that's, it's not true because this is true. Your old man was crucified with Christ. And in the same way that you see Jesus dead to sin... 
the, the relationship between Jesus and sin is totally broken and the relationship between Jesus and God is totally united the same way that you see Jesus dead to sin and alive unto God. Likewise, you need to see yourself just as dead to sin and just as alive unto God as Jesus is. Well, I haven't quite lived up to that. No, I understand you haven't lived up to that. But, but if you begin to see yourself that way, you'll be more likely to live up to that than if you see yourself as an old worm of the dust and just an old sinner. You have to see it before it becomes reality in your actual life. But see, when you see yourself alive unto God and dead to sin and you face a temptation, it's much easier to say no to that temptation when you say, you know what? I'm not that old person anymore. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm united to God. I, I shouldn't be going back to those old behaviors and patterns and habits. So number one, you need to know that your old man was crucified with Christ. Number two, you need to reckon yourself. That means see yourself, consider yourself, uh, think of yourself as Dead to sin, but alive unto God. But then there's something else you need to do. Number three, look at Romans 6, 12, the very next verse. We're just looking at a few verses in Romans 6. Romans 6, 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. See, it's one thing to see yourself, but it's another thing to actually present yourself. See yourself, present yourself rather, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You need to know something you need to consider it to be true, and then you need to act on it. Present yourself. Two things. Number one, present yourself to God as someone who's alive from the dead. You're not under spiritual death anymore. You're not under the rule of sin and Satan anymore. You present yourself to God as one who's alive from the dead and your members. What are your members? Well, your hands, your tongue, your eyes, your ears, your feet, you know, any, that, the members of your physical body. Present yourself to God as one who's alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Yes. But notice what it says here at the beginning. It says, don't let sin reign or have authority in your mortal body. So it must be possible to allow sin to reign or Paul wouldn't have said, don't allow it. And that you should obey it and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So it must be possible to present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now I have a question for you. You ready for a question? Is your body, I'm talking about your physical body, is your body good or evil? It's a question for you to think about. Is your body just smack yourself so you remember what we're talking about. Is your body good or evil? How many of you would say, Brother Cook, my body is good. Let me see your hand. Your body is good. Let me see. I'm, I'm looking at... Oh, 
Probably 20 hands. All right. How many of you would say, ah, Brother Cook, my body is evil. Let me see your hand if you think your body is evil. Wow, a dozen hands. So more people think your body is good than think the body is evil. But, you know, that was about 32 people that raised their hand. There's a whole lot more in here. <laughs> Pastor Mark, did you raise your hand? <laughs> Pastor Mark is a wise man. He says, neither. Um, how many of you, we had 32 people about vote. 20 said their body's good. 12 said their body is evil. How many of you would say... Here's my vote. I believe this is a trick question. And so I'm not raising my hand at all. Let me see your hands all over the... Yeah, that's the great majority of you. All right. Uh, Pastor Mark had a good point. He said neither. And I, I, I want to kind of echo his, his insight and wisdom here. Um, I think it really depends on what you do with your body. It depends. He said, you know, don't present your bodies, members, as instruments of unrighteousness, but present them as instruments of righteousness. So it kind of sounds like you have a choice. Yes, you do. What are you going to do with it? Um, I can take this mouth, my tongue, and I can gossip. And I can speak hurtful words to somebody and just tell somebody, you know, you're worthless. You're, you know, and my, my tongue can then be an instrument of unrighteousness. Or I can take this same mouth of mine and I can go up to somebody and say, you know what? God really loves you and God values you and God has a phenomenal plan for your life. And all of a sudden, my tongue has become an instrument of righteousness. I can take this hand, you know, and I can slap somebody or, or uh, you know, do the three stooges, poke them in the eyes, you know. And um, my body becomes an instrument of evil. But I can take this same hand and offer it to somebody in a warm handshake. Or I can, you know, somebody's fallen down. I can reach down and pick them up. Or I can reach in my wallet and give somebody some money. My hand then becomes an instrument of good. Your body is going to be good or evil based on what you do with it. Now, let, let me rephrase. Let me make that question a little bit more precise. How many of you know that within your body, in some way, shape, or form, there are certain urges and tendencies that aren't necessarily good? Okay? And the Bible talks about that. And the Bible talks about make no provision for the lusts of the flesh. How many of you know your body's not born again yet? Our spirit man is born again. Our mind is in the process of getting renewed, and our body is still the same old body we used to have. That's why we're looking forward to a resurrection. But, but you know, to define the body as just evil, let, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had a car where the steering was a little bit out of alignment? You ever had a car? Now, did that make your car evil? No, still a good car. It just it had a tendency... Something in the steering made it want to drive into the ditch or drive into the oncoming traffic. So that's not good. But you're not going to say, well, this is an evil car. Give me a bunch of dynamite. I'm going to blow it up. It's just to be destroyed. No, what you're going to do, you're going to do two things. Number one, until you can get that fixed, you're going to just counter steer. In other words, if it pulls a little bit to the right, then you're just going to steer it a little bit. You're going to use your authority as the driver of the car to, to counteract the tendency to, to go into the ditch. 
but you don't want to counter steer forever. So you're going to, when you can, you're going to get that car to a mechanic and he's going to fix it. So it doesn't do that anymore. Well, while we're in this earthly body, our body can have some tendencies to go into the ditch a little bit, but we can use our authority and, and, and say, nobody, you're not going to do what you want. You're going to go straight instead. How many of your body this morning didn't, when the alarm went off, your body wasn't just absolutely thrilled about getting out of bed? And your, your body would have rather gone to St. Mattress of the Springs. You with me? That doesn't mean your body's evil. It just meant you had to say, body, get out of bed. You're going to church whether you want to or not. So that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies to God, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. See, even though your body may be, might be like that car, the steering's a little bit out of alignment, you need, you need to get it fixed. Uh, but that happens in the resurrection. So in the meantime, we just have to counter steer. Uh, but in the meantime, we present our bodies to God, a living sacrifice. Yes. That's why we can lift up, as Pastor Mark said early in the sermon, we lift up holy hands. See, when you present them to God, they're holy. Okay? So, real simple message here today. Paul tells us three things in Romans chapter 6 that we need to, you know, uh, have in our, in our realm of understanding and, and operation. Number one, we need to know that our old man was crucified with Christ. Your old nature was put on him. The sin nature was put on Christ. So that uh, when he died, you died. When he was quickened, you were quickened. When he was raised, you were raised. When he was seated with Christ in heavenly places, you were seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's your ID. That's your identification. That's who you really are. But because a lot of Christians have never renewed their mind, they still think of themselves as just an old sinner, an old worm of the dust. No, you need to reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You need to see yourself just as dead to sin as you see Jesus dead to sin. And you need to see yourself just as alive unto God as you see Jesus alive unto God. Why? Because you were identified with Him. Uh, that's a spiritual reality. It may not be an entire behavioral reality yet, but it's a spiritual reality. And if you'll know that and see that, and then third, now you begin to address your behavior. Now you begin to say, okay, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I was crucified with Christ. I'm just as righteous as Jesus is righteous. So now I'm going to start living like it. I'm going to present myself to God as someone who's alive from the dead. And I am going to present my members, all the parts of my body, as instruments of righteousness to God. I will no longer let sin reign in my mortal body. And I will not in the future present my members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. I want you to know the 63 to 0... that reminded you of your humiliating defeat is just like Jesus on the cross. Because what Jesus was on the cross for, He was bearing our humiliating defeat. But when Jesus came off that cross and He gave all of us a part of His life, yeah. 
Him coming off the cross, Him being resurrected is our victory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your goodness and your mercy today. Thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of the gospel that we can know that our old man was crucified with Christ. We can reckon ourselves, see ourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we can present ourselves as those that are alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness to God. Father, thank you that Jesus went to the cross, spirit, soul, and body. He bore the punishment, the penalty for our sins in the entirety of his being so that we could be redeemed in the entirety of our being, spirit, soul, and body. Father, today we are yours and we present ourselves to you that way. Lord, we don't just want to have a spiritual reality in our life, but we want a practical application of it. We want it to show in our lives so that, Lord, not only do we know that Jesus identified with us, but now we identify with him. But, Father, we want the world to be able to identify him through us. And, Lord, I just thank you for your blessing upon every person here. Lord, if there are people here today that have never experienced the fullness of your love, I pray that today that you would draw them to yourself. Guys, I just never like to close a service unless I know that every person present has opened their heart to the love of God and accepted God's offer of forgiveness and mercy and grace. I'm telling you what, there was a time in my life where I, I believed in God mentally. Yeah, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. But if you'd asked me the question, Tony, do you know for sure if you were to breathe your last and you were to die, do you know for sure that you'd be with God in heaven forever? You know, I would have just had to say, well, I hope so. I hope so. Because the only basis for my whole thought on that was, you know, have I been good enough? Have I been religious enough? It was all based on my performance. And, and see, I want you to know today that if you're here today, you're trusting in your performance, how good you've been. I just love you enough to tell you, you're not going to make it. Because our performance isn't good enough. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. Because we couldn't save ourselves by our good behavior, our good performance doing rituals and things like that. Heaven's not for good people. It's not for perfect people, not for religious people. Heaven is for one type of person and one type of person only. It's for forgiven people. And the way that God made provision for us to be forgiven was when he sent his son Jesus who died on the cross, shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. And then Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. I know that. He's alive and he's offering every person the gift of forgiveness. But we have to receive that gift because God's not, he's not going to force something on you. He's a gentleman. But if you'll say, yes, Jesus, I give my life to you today, then he'll embrace your life. He'll embrace you. He'll cleanse you. He'll accept you. He'll give you a brand new beginning. How many of you here today would say with uplifted hand, Tony, I know that I'm a child of God. I know that I'm forgiven. Let me see your hand all over this place. You know that you're forgiven. You know that you're a child of God. Go ahead and lower your hands. That looks like a large percentage, but maybe there's some here today who would say, Tony, man, I can't really say that. 
I'd like to have that kind of comfort, confidence, assurance, but I can't. But you know what? Today, I want to know. Today, I want to accept this gift of love and grace from God. How many of you with uplifted hand right now would say, Tony, I want you to pray for me because today...